Do you remember the first time that Jesus surprised you? Do you rem- want me to start over? Do you remember the first time that Jesus surprised you? Or is that non-response? Like, I, I don't remember. So here's my theory. If you came to faith in Jesus Christ as an adult, there's probably a time in your life where Jesus actually surprised you. Like you heard his story and you went, whoa, I didn't know that's what it was about. And he was so surprising. His love was surprising. His grace was surprising. Maybe his holiness was surprising. Something surprised you. That's my, that's my thought if you came to faith in Christ as an adult. If, like, like I did, if you grew up in the church and, and, you, and you, know, you went to Sunday school every week or whatever, Maybe it's harder to find a place where Jesus surprised you because you just heard about him all the way along. So you just, you know, knowing about Jesus was like breathing to you. And sort of that's how my life was because I, I was in church every weekend. So I heard all those stories and things. It wasn't until I was older in my life that Jesus surprised me. And one of the places where Jesus surprised me was when I got a knock on my heart and Jesus said, I want you to go to Folsom and I want you to start a church. I'm like, what was that? No, and then, you know, it's like, the knock came again. I want you to go to Folsom, and I want you to start a church. I'm like, no, 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 Lord, you called me to be a pastor, not a church planter. (laughs) Knock, knock, knock comes again. Yeah, I want you to go to Folsom, and I want you to start a church. I'm like, what? Okay. And it surprised me. It's like, oh, we're going to go start a church. How how do you start a church? I mean, every church I've been involved in, they, already, they were already there. It's like that church probably been there forever. It probably started with creation, you know. They, they, God created the heavens and the earth and church. That's all I ever knew about church. Like, what, we're going to really start one? What, how do you do that? There are a lot of ways you could start a church, I suppose, and, and I couldn't figure out any better way. So we decided to start Lakeside Church by means of a telemarketing campaign. Are some of you old enough to remember telemarketing? They, they, put a, they, put a end, they put the kibosh on it a while ago. They put that, this do not call list. So everyone who hated telemarketers, which is everyone, signed up on the do not call list. And, but I don't think that applies to cell phones. So they're starting over again now on our cell phones, which even ticks me off. How many of you love telemarketers? I, I am one. Be, okay, be nice, okay? Now that, you know, now that you know this about me, now be nice. So, no, so here's how we started Lakeside Church. We, I, I had a friend who said, I'll donate some office space. He had an office over in Orangevale that was vacant. He said, I'll donate some office space. We set up a bunch of tables. We got 10 telephones, like the old-fashioned kind. They have a wire to the wall. has a little curly thing that comes to the, to the they call it a headset. Remember, some of you remember those? Yeah, okay, so we got 10 of those set up in this office. We got some volunteers, we got some family members that came in, and we just called everybody that lived in Folsom at the time, which was about 17,000 people. But they were in households, and some of them had unlisted numbers. We made 5,000 phone calls in the summer of 1987. Me and my wife, in fact, I think I have, oh, this is me in 1987. I didn't dim the picture so you couldn't really see what it, that, that's just, that was the quality of photographs in 1987, you know. Here's, here's a better looking one. <laughs> she looks exactly the same. It's amazing. All right, never mind, I got distracted. So anyway, we got these phones set up and we, and we're going to, we, we made 5,000 telephone calls. We got a thing called a cross-reference telephone directory, you know, because there was a day when you couldn't find someone's name and phone number in, on your phone, 
you had to have a, this directory, right? We got a thing called a cross-reference directory, which means, means instead of being listed alphabetically, people were listed by their home address. And so we just called from house to house to house to house all through the streets of Folsom. And when we called, we, had two, we, we said, we have two questions for you. We were not like the, the typical telemarketers. Did you know that they feed oxygen to telemarketers intravenously? That's so they never have to breathe. They just keep talking, they keep getting fed oxygen, they don't have to go, they don't have to do that because they know when they go, you'll hang up. So we did a really different way as, as telemarketer. We, we called and we said, hey, it was something, you know, here's, here's sort of the script. It's like, hi, my name is Brad and I'm the pastor of Lakeside Church, which is a new church we're going to start in September in Folsom. May I ask you two questions about that? And, you know, most people said, no. If they even answer, you know, a lot of people say, mm. This is, how, this is the motion you used to have to do it to your phone, you know. Now it's, now it's you know, okay, never mind, you know that. Anyway, so, so uh, we, we said, may we ask you two questions about our new church? And then we just paused and we waited for them to answer. And some people said, no, you can't ask me any questions. And we said, God bless you. Have a great life. But if they said, yeah, you can ask two questions. And we said, our first question is this. Are you actively involved in a local church at this time? Now, why would we ask that? That's a weird question. Are you actively involved in a local church at this time? Why would we ask that? Yeah, because we're not into sheep stealing. Like, you know, Jesus compared his church to a flock of sheep, and it's like, okay, you're already involved in a flock. Be, be a blessing there. Make it happen there. God bless you. If you're already involved in a church, we're not looking to bring you to Lakeside. Be where you are. Be a blessing where you are. What we're trying to do is reach people that were far from God. There's a lot of people in our community who are far from God, don't you think? Even when the town only had 17,000 people, there were a lot of people in town who were far from God. And we said, those are the people we're going after. And so we called up. We said, uh, number one, are you, are you actively involved in a local church now? And if they said no, I think they're thinking, oh, good, I'm off the hook. I don't go to church. We said, oh, good, if you don't go to church, you're the one we're reaching. You're the one we're looking for. So we said, if, if they said no, we're not actively involved, we said, okay, next question for you is, may we send you some information about Lakeside Church, yes or no? If they said, now a lot of people said no, because they know it's like, if you want to do that, you're going to put me on a mailing list. So they said no. But some people said, yeah, you can, you can send me some stuff about your church. So we made 5,000 phone calls that summer. We got 500 families who said, yeah, you, you can send us some information. If they said yes, we started sending them everything we think. We, we sent them postcards and flyers and brochures and pictures of my beautiful family. And, like, that would be attractive to them. And, you know, we did everything we could think of to get them to go, be interested in this church. And then in September, we got close to the launch date, which is the last Sunday of September. We got close to the launch date. And we went back and we, we started calling all those 500 families again who had said, yes, you can send us stuff. And we just said, hey, nobody's going to know anybody that first day. Are, you know, you've been getting our, have you been getting our mail? I'm like, yeah, well, yeah, we've been getting your mail, you know. And I said, well, nobody's going to know anybody on that very first day. So if, if, if you're thinking about coming, would you mind bringing cookies? Now we're talking to people that are total strangers we've never met before. They've never been, they don't even go to church. And now they're like, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to bring cookies. We had one woman, who, one woman who came the very first day of Lakeside's existence and she brought cookies and she became our cookie coordinator for the next three years. <laughs> I don't know how this works. Some, does Jesus ever surprise you? 
That summer, we made 5,000 phone calls. We got 500 families who said, yeah, you can send us information. And on the very first day of Lakeside Church, end of September 1987, we started with 55 people. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you know what that was? That was tennis applause. You, you U.S. Open fans. Yeah, so yeah, I know, I know. Some of you go, well, that's pretty good. Some of you go, that's 1%. 1% is not bad. I, I don't know. So we started the church with the one percenters. 55 people showed up. Now, sometimes Jesus surprises you. We got 55 people. I'm like, this is going to be great. It's going to take off. It's going to go beautiful. And so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm real excited about the future of the church at that point. But then probably by, by extraordinary pastoral skills, the church grew in the next three months from 55 people to 11. You ever get discouraged? Come see me. We had 11 people on our, on, on our last weekend gathering of the year, 1987. You know what happens at the end of, December, end of December every year? Christmas happens. Yeah. Who goes to church on Christmas? Just about everybody. So we had lost 44 people already, and now we had everybody coming to church. That was 11 people, which included me, because I count. Well, it didn't include Donna because Donna was sick that day. Our attendance dropped by 9% just because my wife was ill. It was probably the trajectory of the church that was making her sick. So anyway, Donna wasn't there that day, but I had my two children. They went in the nursery that day. I don't know who was doing nursery because Donna usually did that. So it beats me how that worked out. But, so I was there. My two children were there. John, hey, have you seen what John's doing up here? Yeah, John's scribing for us today. Yeah, it's awesome. We're going to do that this whole series. Yeah, because sometimes Jesus surprises you, and sometimes a scribe shows up at church. So John and Tawny, they were with us from the second weekend. They were with us. So they were there that Christmas, that Christmas morning. That was a good thing. So it's me and my two children and John and Tawny. That's five of the 11. And then they had two friends from out of town that came. And then, you know, we'd been telling my mom and dad for, you know, months, we're going to go to Folsom, we're going to start a church, that we'd moved up here, you know, and they hadn't been to see us yet, but they kept hearing about this great church, you know, 55 people and all the great stuff that was going on. And so they decided they'd come up and visit for Christmas. We had, that means we had two people that came from Lakeside on Christmas Sunday three months after we started. You know you're in trouble when you're going to be out of business by Super Bowl Sunday. But sometimes Jesus surprises you. Sometimes he do, he, he do something. <laughs> sometimes when you speak, you surprise yourself. Sometimes Jesus does something that surprises you. We're going to start a series today that's going to talk about Jesus. And I know some of you will go, well, we, we always talk about Jesus. Well, yeah, we're church. It's all about Jesus. But for the next couple of months, we're going to focus specifically on Jesus' story. Like his life, his words, his teachings, his story from the book of Matthew. And the theme of the book of Matthew is the kingdom of heaven. And we're going to find out that the kingdom of heaven is always surprising. In fact, if heaven is heaven, it will always surprise you. 
And some of you go, no, no, I've been reading up on heaven. I read the, I read the end of the book. I kind of know a little bit about heaven. If heaven is heaven, it will always surprise you. I don't care if you're a human expert. If heaven is heaven, it will always surprise you because it is not like anything you've ever experienced. And that's the message of the book of Matthew that I want you to hear. So get your Bibles out, if you would, please. If you have a Bible with you, why don't you pull it out? If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. If you have a smartphone, there's the YouVersion Bible app on your smartphone. You can open that up and follow along with us, or you can just listen if you like. But I'd love to have you bring your Bible. We believe this is the Word of God. It talks to us about God's heart. And so that's why we open it up every week. Turn to Matthew chapter 3, and let's... Look at the beginning of the story of Jesus. Now, we're not going to go back to the very beginning in this series because the very beginning is Christmas, and we're going to get to Christmas in December. So I'm going to skip over that part because it's coming soon, okay? But we're going to start with this character named John the Baptist and read his story, and let's just see how that introduces us to Jesus. Matthew chapter 3, starting at verse 1, says this, In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. All right, let's just stop there and start looking at the surprises. First surprise I see is this. John came preaching in the what? In the wilderness. Who lives in the wilderness? Nobody. Who would start a church in the wilderness? When, when, when we started Folsom in 1987, Folsom was the fifth fastest growing city in the state of California. That's why we came here, because there was a lot of people moving in, and they needed a church, and they needed to know Jesus, and people who were far from God needed to get connected to him. But in the wilderness, there's nobody there. And so here's John, and he comes out, and he starts preaching where? In the wilderness. That's dumb. I mean, I, you know, I'm not going to say that to John the Baptist when I get to heaven, but, you know, it's like, that's not a great strategy. That's crazy. But sometimes the kingdom of heaven surprises us, and it turns out that people pour down to the Jordan River in the wilderness from Jerusalem and from Judea and from the Jordan Valley. People are coming to John to get baptized from everywhere to see this man who's out there preaching in the desert. They flock to him. They saw, when they got there, they saw this man who was dressed in camel's hair. Now, there's, there's two kinds of camel's hair. In fact, camels have two coats of hair. Did you know this? They, they have an inner coat, which is like really soft, from which we make camel's hair clothing today, really, the really nice stuff. And then they have the wiry outer hair, which I think is what John wore. Because he didn't have a lot of money. He wasn't rich. He's out there in the desert. He's got He's got camel's hair and a leather belt, and his diet consisted of honey-glazed grasshoppers, which some people look at sort of as the chocolate of that generation. So we gave the, we gave the box of surprises today, and it had chocolate in there. That's why it's in honor of John the Baptist. I'm sure Snooks and John the Baptist are linked some, somewhere. They are now. And John comes out with a message that is not complicated. It's sort of a one-sentence message. 
He says, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, a lot of times when you think about the, the idea of repentance, you get, you get an idea of a prophet like John with camel's hair and, and eating grasshoppers like, oh, repent. You get this kind of a wild-eyed maniac talking about repentance. Maybe people you've seen at the turntable with the cable cars in San Francisco, that, you know, that kind of a thing. But really what he's asking is that he wants you to make an, an intellectual change. The word to repent means to change your mind. You ever change your mind? Anybody ever change your mind about anything? Four of you? <laughs> you are people with conviction. He goes, I want you to change. It's going to be a tough crowd with, with his message for you, I guess. But he goes, I want you to change your mind. I want you to change your thinking. It's not this, it's not this noisy shift in life. It's, just, it's a thoughtful shift of life. Now it might move you emotionally. It will change your character. But it starts with our thinking. He says, I want you to change your thinking. I want you to change your thinking because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, if you're one of the characters in the desert that day, you walked all the way down the mountain from Jerusalem to get down to the Jordan River, and the prophet says the kingdom of heaven has come near, your response is, no, it's not. I walked a long way to get here. Kingdom of heaven's not so near to me. But if heaven is heaven, it will always surprise you. When people got a phone call 30 years ago from, from people that weren't even members of a brand new church that hadn't started yet, and those people got that phone call and they were far from God, all of a sudden the kingdom of God came very close to them. All of a sudden the kingdom of God was coming over their telephone line. All of a sudden, the kingdom of God became possible for them, near for them. And now there are hundreds and probably thousands of people that are flocking to the desert to meet with this prophet named John. And when they get down there, they hear this message that is shocking to them. Change your mind. Change your thinking. Because the kingdom of heaven is near. It's right next to you. That's not a crazy message. I mean, right, if your life is a mess, doesn't it make sense to change your mind? If your marriage is a mess, doesn't it make sense to change your mind? If your finances are upside down, doesn't it make sense to change your mind? If your soul is as dry as a desert, doesn't it make sense to change your mind? If your life is far from God, doesn't it make sense to change your mind? It's not a crazy message. Change your mind because the kingdom of heaven is near. And that was one of the surprises of heaven, that those who felt far from God found out, they heard a message where God said to them, I'm nearer than you think. See, the kingdom of heaven in the book of Matthew is always a metaphor for the kingdom of God. It's a, it's a metaphor for the, the person or the presence of God in your life. What he's saying is the presence of God is near to you. You who feel like God is far away from you. You, feel, you who feel like you have moved far away from God. John says, I want you to change your thinking because the kingdom of heaven is near. 
And for some of you, that may be your story, right? I, I you know, I, I should put you at ease. I can't, I can't see it on your face, you know. He, he knows. You know, it's not written on your forehead. You are far from God. It, I, it's not. I can't tell. You all look good. Except you know. You know where you are in relationship with God. And you know if God has felt like he's a long, long ways away. You know if you've moved a long, long ways from God. You know. And here comes the preparer of the way for Christ. His messenger, his prophet, John. And he says, I want you to change your thinking because the kingdom of heaven is close to you. Isn't that amazing? It's just as true today as it was when John said it 2,000 years ago. Now let's, let's go on a little farther in the story. Verse 7. But when John saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Don't think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Do you notice that paragraph begins with a surprise word? But there's a setup and there's the punchline. The punchline begins with but. He goes, all of you who came down here, you are far from God, but the kingdom of heaven has come near. But John looks out in the crowd and he sees these people called Sadducees and he recognizes them. And he sees some people called Pharisees and he recognizes them. The Sadducees in that generation were the religious muckety-mucks. They're the religious, they're the religious power brokers. They were the priests and the Levites, the temple workers. They were the Sadducees. The Pharisees were the self-appointed, self-righteous judges of the religious world. They were the perfectionists of the ancient world. They're the ones who said, we do it right, do what we say, and you might be able to do it right. And they judged themselves kindly, and they judged everybody else harshly. Do you know people like that? I know one. They were me. They were the ones who grew up in church, or in their case, they grew up in synagogue. They grew up in the temple. They were the ones who followed the rules. Even if they were rules that just they made, they wrote them, and then they followed them. They told everybody how perfect they were at doing it, and everybody believed them because all the ones who were far from God looked at them, and they go, well, they must be closer to God than I am. And they judged everybody who didn't do it right. Left to myself, I would be a Pharisee. And John calls them out. He says, you brood of vipers. 
Literally, he says, you breeders of poison. Isn't it weird that the religious leaders could be the breeders of poison? Should, should religion ever be poisonous? Should it ever be poisonous? It cannot be poisonous. But it was, and the religious leaders were the ones who were making it so. If you're a religious leader, like I am, you cannot come to this passage without taking a warning across the bow. Can't. They were breeders of poison. He said, who, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You need to keep, you need to bring forth fruit in keeping with your repentance that you came down here for, if that's what you actually came down here for. And at the end of that statement, he says, God's winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering the wheat and then throwing away the chaff. We don't get that, we don't get that reference so much anymore. I've, I've seen threshing floors as I've traveled around the world. I've seen threshing floors in Ethiopia. I've seen threshing floors in India seen threshing floors in Israel. So they have a floor and they have the grain stacked up, the wheat or the barley, whatever it is they're gathering during that particular harvest season. And they, they grind it out and then they have to thresh it. And they'll take a fork and they, and they, go, they go outside on a breezy day to this floor and they just they grab a scoop and they toss it up in the air and the kernels, which are heavier, drop back down to the ground, but the chaff blows away into a separate pile. It's all very neatly done. But there's a separation that comes. And, and John says to the religious leaders, there's a separation that's coming. You who think you are so close to God are often so far from him. Sometimes I look at our world and I, in our current world, our current culture, our current climate, I'm trying to figure out where are we in relation to where Jesus was, in relation to where John the Baptist was. Sometimes it looks to me like the closest example of the Pharisees that I can find besides myself is our group in our culture known as evangelicals, which is my tribe. This is not me pointing fingers at somebody else. This is my tribe. The word evangelical refers to someone who believes that the Bible is the inspired word of God. I believe that. An evangelical is someone who, it refers to someone who believes that Jesus Christ is the only means of salvation God has given to this world. I believe that. An evangelical is someone who believes that we are saved by grace through faith alone in Christ. I believe that. By definition, that makes me an evangelical. But there, were, there came a time years ago when I stopped calling myself by that title. Because I realized how much like a Pharisee my tribe had become. I was officiating a wedding for a friend down in Sacramento and went down on Friday for the rehearsal. And at the rehearsal, I, I, you know, I, I met all the, bride, the bridesmaids and the groomsmen and I knew the bride and groom and, and I met the wedding coordinator. It was the first time I'd ever met a male wedding coordinator. Oh, no, that's, that's different. That, you know, put that in my head. That's a little bit different. 
The next day, it came time for the wedding, and I always leave for a wedding early in case I run into traffic, especially if I have to drive a ways like down into Sacramento. And like, I, I, it's really a bad sign for a, a couple if the pastor is late to the wedding. It's not good. So I always leave early just in case I hit traffic. Well, that day I left early, but I hit no traffic, so I got there really early. And when I got there, the only other person in the building was the wedding coordinator. So we had a long time to have a conversation. We had a great little conversation, and he began to ask me questions about my life and about, you know, what do I do? And I said, I'm a pastor. He goes, well, where's your church? And I said, in Folsom. And we talked for a little while longer, and eventually he said to me, he said to me, you're not one of those, like, like evangelicals, are you? And I said, Yes! Because I'm all proud of my heritage. I'm proud of what I believe in. I said, yes. And his face fell and he said, oh, that frightens me. That really frightens me. I said, how is it possible that that could frighten you? I mean, how is it possible just because someone believes the Bible is the word of God and that Jesus is the way to the Father and that, and that, that salvation comes by, faith through, by grace through faith alone in Christ? How, how does that frighten you? He said, well, I'm gay. And that really frightens me. And I said, that's the last time I'm going to call myself that. How is it possible that a religious tribe can be frightening to people? How is it possible that we could be breeders of poison? And John comes into the wilderness preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And what he's saying is the kingdom of heaven is near for those of you who think God is far away. But the kingdom of heaven may be very far away for those of you who think you're so near to God. He goes, change your thinking. Now, there's hope for everybody, all of us, even me. And so the story continues, and here's where Jesus shows up. Verse 13 says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, but do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Jesus comes to John. He goes, Hey, John, I want you to baptize me. John's like, No way! I'm not baptizing you. You don't need to be baptized. You don't need to repent. You don't need to change your thinking. You're Jesus. Jesus says, I know, and I want you to baptize me. He says, see, it, it, it'll fulfill all righteousness. Righteousness means to create a right relationship with somebody else. He says, this will put me in a right relationship with all those people that feel far from God. This is going to enable me, when I get baptized with them, this is going to enable me to identify with all those people who feel like they are far from God. If heaven is heaven, it will always surprise you. 
And it may surprise you to find out that those who feel like they are far from God, God is actually very near to them. And for those who feel they are very near to God, God may actually be very far from them. But Jesus said, let this be so. Let me identify with those who feel they are far from God because I want to bring them close. And John said, okay, and he baptized him. When Jesus came up out of the water, uh, the Spirit of God came down in the form of a dove and landed on Jesus. And a voice came from heaven and said, this is my son. I'm happy with him. He's pleased me. And, and the desert broke out in the presence of God that day. Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Because for the first time in the history of humanity, people finally heard the message that God wanted them to hear, which said, if you feel like you are far from God, the kingdom of heaven is very near. That's the invitation of the life of Christ. That's what we're going to lean into as we walk forward in these weeks and months together in the story of Jesus. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your grace to us. The truth is we are all far from you until we meet Jesus. Those who feel far are far. Those who feel close may be far until we come to you through Jesus. Lord, I pray for every one of us. I don't know everybody's story. I don't know where they are on this, on this journey with Jesus or toward Jesus, but I pray for everyone that we would hear the message of John, that we would change our thinking that we would draw near to you through Christ. Lord, thank you for your amazing grace and love and mercy for us. We also love you. Amen.